Hello, welcome to Bookasol with me, P.S. Nisim, where I read, review and go gaga over books from the Indian point of view. In every episode, I take up two books, one new and one relatively older but still relevant, and compare them, talk about them, tell you what they have in common, maybe come up with some larger themes. So let's get going. When I started this podcast, um, and if you have heard my first episode or read my intro page, I wanted to take this idea of books that don't get enough attention really seriously. Uh, I pointed out books like you know cookbooks, comics, history, so on and so forth that don't get coverage in the serious book review pages, and I wanted to cover those. Well, this is the episode where I make good my pledge. I'm going to do cookbooks today. Uh, why cookbooks of all things? Well, I'm thinking back to this time about 10 years ago when I happened to be in a newspaper office and I was figuring out what book to review next for the paper. I saw a nice looking book in the stack of new arrivals, which was a memoir come cookbook where you know someone talks about their family history and talks about their own secret recipes. And I showed it to the editor. And the editor's response was that that's not the kind of review that they run. Or in fact, most uh, newspapers run because it's out of their scope. And that book would probably get donated to the newspaper library or given to an NGO or some such thing. Uh, I think that was the thought process that culminated in me starting up Bookasol. And I've mentioned cookbooks and comics multiple times. So you can expect a comic episode soon. But today, it's cookbooks. Moreover, I should probably clarify that I'm not a chef by any means. I can barely make Maggie and yes, I can talk about my adventures some other day. But I still find them interesting and I will also talk about why you, fellow ordinary person, should find them interesting too. The first book for today is Pangat, A Feast by Sai Korane Khandekar. I hope I'm getting her name right. Uh, this was published in 2019 by Hachette India. It's priced $5.99. The second is a much older book called Ras Chandrika, uh, subtitled A Saraswat Kukari Book. And it's published by the Saraswat Mahila Samaj, Mumbai, in Marathi way back in 1943. And an English version, which I have in front of me, in 1988, uh, published by Popular Prakashan. The edition I have is uh, costs $2.25, but the price might have risen today. Let's start with Pangat. In fact, let's start with Sai Korane Khandekar, the writer, because this isn't her first book. Uh, her first was a book called Crumbs, uh, subtitled Bread Stories, which was basically, as it sounds, uh, recipes for bread from all over India and from across the world. I picked this book up on a whim from a landmark just because it had a four-page story about uh, Sai herself going to a Goan kitchen to see how they make bread and just the fact that she was so interested in this kind of stuff uh, appealed to me and I have not regretted it. This this is an awesome book and I'll come back to it possibly if we get the time. Uh, Pangat follows a similar concept where instead of talking about a type of food, it talks about a region. Marathi food specifically and since this is uh, Khandekar's second book, there are blurbs on the front and back covers of the book, all of which say, oh, we only thought Marathi food was vada pav and misal pav and this is such a surprise to us. And uh, I don't know, that feels like faint praise to me, if you ask me. 
every region in India has enough variety in its food to write an entire cookbook about or multiple. I mean, look at Punjabi food and the dozens of cookbooks around it. But Khandekar is on a larger mission here. She is not recording only the recipes. She is actually recording a way of life and a larger culture. Let me read out a quick extract from the beginning of the book to tell you what I am talking about. Here she is on page 49 talking about dahi, that is yogurt. When I was growing up, it was common for neighbors to knock on your door and ask for some virgin, which is yogurt culture, so they could set their own yogurt or curd. As compared to artisanal bakers who charge a premium for their sourdough starters, this was like free access to gold. You couldn't not have dahi in your refrigerator. What if you had to make kadhi for sudden guests? How would you ferment clotted cream to make butter without yogurt? How would you eat dahi bhat on a hot sultry afternoon? Home cultures were considered better than store-bought ones, so one preferred to ring the doorbell next door, armed with a prayer and a small bowl. So is that about dahi or is it about a way of life? It's both actually. And if you look at the index of this book, you'll see that Khandekar brings a lot of herself and her environment into it. For example, she talks about her family history, uh, her space growing up, the influences that her family went through. Uh, there are extra sections about regions of Maharashtra which have their own styles of cooking, the different communities which have traditional recipes, the ingredients that this style of cooking uses, the utensils, even the list of milk products which are commonly used from where I pulled out the section on dahi. It's only after all this that we actually come down to the recipes. From the index again, the recipes look like a standard cookbook. You got your masalas, your chutneys, pickles, vegetables, breads, rice and so on and so forth. But when you go to these pages and start reading the recipes, you find that each of these are not just recipes but little capsules of a time and place and mood. Let's pick out one which I really liked. This is on page 117. It's the recipe for mango pickle and it starts off like this. My aunt's home in Khanapur had three mango trees. At the entrance on the corner of the gate was an Alfonso variant. On most days, this tall tree would be covered in red dust from the dirt road that it overlooked. Pass Passers-by, children's adults and monkeys alike would eye the fruit and make the afternoon assaults on the tree while the household napped. Whatever little the family were lucky to find was eaten quickly and without much ceremony. Khandekar goes on to talk about a couple of other trees in the same compound, finally ending with the Rajapuri tree which was used to make the actual mango pickle. You'll see that the recipe is pretty quick and it doesn't talk of several things that are standard nowadays like the time you want to do a certain thing or the certain color that you want it to look like the heat or the temperature. Those are things that she says you acquire by experience and by having an eye for them. As they say in Hindi, uh, everyone's hearth is different. So the taste of recipes by everyone's hand is slightly different and the cuisine kind of expects that when you make these recipes. I remember in fact asking this question to Sanjeev Kapoor at a literature fest a few years back. Like how come the Indian recipe books are a lot looser than you know the Italian or French and the response I got from him and other panelists was that it's expected that everybody makes their food slightly differently 
and the uniformity would actually kill the creativity which which sounds interesting to me anyhow uh, the other thing that a recipe book like this covers uh, besides the environment that the recipes were created in is the history of the people and uh, khandekar talks about the different communities in uh, Maharashtra, as I said earlier, and their, their different traditions. So let me pull out uh, the introduction to one of the recipes that's specific to one community, which is the Pathare Prabhu community in Mumbai. And this recipe is called uh, the Pathare Prabhu Karandi Pie, which is a shepherd's pie adaptation. So here are the two lines which introduce this recipe. This recipe is a perfect example of how the Pathare Prabhu community borrowed and internalized the cooking methods of the British they worked under in their administrative jobs. A spin on the classic shepherd's pie, this one involves a potato mash that is spiced with the community's sambar masala and filled with spiced baby prawns. And then of course the recipe further below. So note that although it's uh, derived from a British recipe, it's got a sambal masala that is specific to this community and then uses prawns. So it's a kind of time capsule of all that the community has gone through and what they have seen in their history. Recipe books like this are pretty common in the West, I would say. Uh, restauranteurs and food historians and theorists write a lot of different spins on different cuisines and people. They haven't been the norm in India yet though. So this is a very welcome trend in my opinion. It's, it's good to read more about the food than just the proportions of the ingredients and the methods to be done. So I read this book not just as uh, you know, a list of recipes. I'm of course going to pick out the interesting ones and show them to my wife and maybe try a few myself. But I wound up reading this book in a bus journey while coming home from work and the little notes and all the explanations were as interesting as any historical novel would be, I think. Uh, this book has been getting a fair deal of publicity from Hachette and I believe it deserves it uh, just for all that it brings to you as part of a culture. And with that, let's take a short break before I talk about the second book, Ras Chandrika. Welcome back. Does anyone remember uh, all the descriptions of food in the Enid Blyton books that we read as kids? The famous five were always eating scones and clotted cream and limeade and ginger ale and so on and so forth. And I think as Indians, we thought of these as really glamorous things before we ever got to taste them. I think the whole association of food with literature is a lot deeper than you'd expect. Uh, especially the imagery that food brings in, the atmosphere it brings in, it really adds to whatever book you're reading. And I don't know if I was the only one who was disappointed when I figured that lime aid is nothing much more than Nimbuka Sharbat. I'm also reminded of my mom who uh, made a total mess of the first time I got her a role from Faso's or some such role place by claiming this is nothing more than roti sabzi where they had just wrapped up the sabzi in the roti. I mean, she was right, of course, but way to take the glamour out of anything. Anyhow, uh, let's talk about our second book of the day, which is Ras Chandrika, uh, written by the Saraswat Mahila Samaj, Mumbai. Now, this is what's called a community cookbook, where a certain community brings together its favorite recipes 
tests them out and compiles them, edits them into a cookbook that's a resource for themselves and for others who may be interested. There are many of these and unfortunately they haven't got the amount of attention that they should have as compared to the glamorous restaurant-tier kind of cookbooks. Uh, this is just one. So as I said, this is compiled by the Saraswat Mahila Samaj, which is compiled of the Chitraput Sara Chitrapur Saraswat Brahmins. There are other books that are similar. For example, a popular one is called the Time and Talents Club Recipe Book, which is a Parsi cookbook. And then Kamla Bai Ogle earlier wrote a book called Ruchida, which is also a Marathi cookbook, but that's one person writing on behalf of a community. There are others that are uh, South Indian Tamil cookbooks, for example, Udipi, and so on and so forth. So what is the purpose behind the community getting together to write a book like this? Let me read out from the preface of Saras Chandrika. Here it goes. A large number of cookery books have recently been published depicting a great variety of cooking. Housewives can, therefore, learn and select recipes from different parts of the country or the world, belonging to different climates and different groups of people. In this process, Saraswat women have learned a large variety of dishes not typically their own, and it was felt that other housewives may also like to experiment with Saraswat dishes, hence the inspiration to compile and write this book. Okay, can you guess when this was written? This was written by Ambabai Samsi, the original compiler of this book, in October 1938, which is almost a century ago. And the Time and Talents Club book, which I mentioned, was also published around 1935. So this has been around for a while, but as I said, uh, they haven't really got as, as much attention as they should have. But this also makes these books, uh, as I said, time capsules of a period when there was a society in transition moving from the villages to the cities and a time when traditional ways were being lost. I remember an uh, interview with the famous cookbook author Tala Dalal where she mentioned that uh, traditionally new recipes come into an Indian family only when the daughter-in-law, the Bahu arrives because she brings in recipes from her parents' house into this one. But cookbooks are changing that now that uh, nuclear families are becoming the norm. Of course, along with migration, that's happening more and more in India. Hmm, it's an interesting comment to think about. So back to Ras Chandrika. Uh, the book is organized, uh, I found this interesting, by the main ingredient, uh, which you would... So imagine a housewife coming out of her house and going vegetable shopping and she finds fresh, uh, let's say, potatoes or cauliflowers or whichever ingredient which is in season and available for cheap. So she comes back here and she opens up the chapter on that uh, specific vegetable. So I'm opening this up to the cauliflower section, for example. And there are one, two, three, four, seven different recipes of cauliflower, all traditional cuisine. And they go like number one is suke, which is dry. Second is fritters, then a wet uh, vegetable preparation, then a sour preparation, then a stew and then another stew and finally a stew, a soup. Similarly, you have recipes focused on say, ladies fingers, bindi, snake gourd, cucumber, and so on and so forth. So it's organized in the sense of being on the shelf of the kitchen and picked out in the case of an emergency based on what you got at the market. Uh, one interesting thing I found about this book is that all the recipes start with the first ingredient being wash and cut the vegetable 
uh, I don't recall modern cookbooks talking about washing, but I suppose that was an instruction that young cooks didn't think of to start with. So you had to tell them to wash it to start with. Uh, another interesting thing is that this book is really, really matter of fact. It doesn't go into any fancy stuff in the recipes. Like, unfortunately, uh, I would have liked to hear hear some of those instructions, but this doesn't talk about my grandmother made it this way or uh, any kind of atmospheric setting. It's really, really to the point. It doesn't go deep into the, again the timings or what it should look like. There are very few photos in the book. It expects a base level of knowledge from the cook it's not really a beginner's book if you have never cooked for example indian cuisine before you will be kind of lost when you work with this book but if you know what you're doing so when i showed my wife this book for example she's a pretty good cook she was able to use this and came up with uh, some pretty good recipes uh, in an emergency there are also sections about uh, sweets for specific occasions and uh, masalas that are used across different preparations there are a few recipes that are def definitely from uh, outside the saraswat culture such as cakes and pudding for example but roll back and think who this book is for it's it's for the new cook who may or may not have the benefit of you know aunts or mothers to tell her how to make stuff so this contains more tips and useful information for these cooks. Here's one section I found really poignant, which is a home remedies and a care of the newborn section. So I'm going to read out uh, a paragraph which talks about when the baby cries incessantly. If the baby cries incessantly, one should not get panicky, but try to find out the cause. The baby tired out after crying and going to sleep and crying again after waking up is a sign of earache or abdominal colic. With an earache, the baby rubs the painful ear along with crying. With abdominal pain, the baby either twists its body or draws up its legs and screams and sometimes its hand and feet get cold. Think about who's reading this. A young Saraswat housewife who's moved to let's say Mumbai maybe or moved to another city with her husband and is now kind of lost without her community to help her. She's going to read this book or she'll be gifted this book when she was married as something to take along with her and she'll refer to this in terms of in times of emergency. Um, there's another section which focuses on festivals and religious days so which talks about what you're supposed to do on each festival. So on this day you have a fast, on that day you make a feast, on this specific day you So for example, on the this is the Bhadrapad Shuddha Tritiya festival. You need to clean three coconuts, separately wash and then smear kajal and sindhu tilak on them and so on and so forth. This is, this is your lifeline when you are lost. There's also a section on what to do when you are sick, I mean adults. And number one, there's no mention of going to a doctor unless it's really, really important. And some of these recipes are kind of strange in these days. For example, uh, for one-sided headache or migraine, the remedy says that at four o'clock in the morning, the migraine patient should eat two jalebis and drink cold water after it and go to bed again. This should be done for three consecutive days. 
If the headache is not relieved, the same thing should be followed for seven more days. Pedas could also be used instead of jalebis. Um, I think I'd like that solution if I get a headache. But today they'd probably ask me to take a salad on and move on. There are also household hints that, for example, uh, to clean a stove, use dry ash and wipe it with a piece of dry cloth, which I don't know where we'd get dry ash from. These lifestyle tips and you know these windows into a way of life this is the way our grandparents lived and while we may hear some of it from them if they are still around these books serve as markers to a totally different world i think and purely for that it, it's worth peeking into these books if possible making something you might find a recipe your grandmother or your mother used to make a long time ago in any case uh, food is as much part of our culture as anything else and literature reflects our culture as well so there, there's always a strange overlap between the two uh, and food evokes memories and senses in us that no other way can so whether we are talking of Proust's Madeleines or Karamchand's carrots uh, just understanding the food that we ate in our childhood, let's say, or in past times is likely to bring back those memories. And cookbooks are a way of encapsulating those memories and those times and bringing them to new audiences who weren't there when it all happened. I think the best way I can end this podcast is to read out a paragraph from uh, Khandekar's book, her preface, where she talks about why she wrote a book about Marathi cuisine in English. This is what she says. Over time, I have come to this conclusion. If we want our cuisine to be understood, appreciated and made commercially viable outside the borders of Maharashtra and outside of our homes, then we must speak about it in a universal tongue, both linguistic and culinary. Conversations about Marathi cuisine must happen in languages other than Marathi. Parallels must be drawn between cuisines across the country, the world and local Marathi fare for dishes to be understood. Oh, and I almost forgot. Uh, I did make a few of these recipes, at least especially from her first book about bread. I made the simple bread. I think the first three times was a failure. But the fourth time onwards, my son actually agreed to eat it, which I count as a major success. And nowadays, the bread gets eaten up before it gets time to cool down completely. So I guess I'm doing something right there. And I can tell you this now from personal experience. Figuring out a new dish from scratch, from a book, and making it and having your family enjoy it is probably the best kind of evening one can spend. And I'm sure my grandma would agree with that one. The books reviewed in this episode were A Pangat, A Feast by Sai Korane Khandekar, published by Hashet, priced at 5.99 rupees. Uh, Ras Chandrika, a Saraswat cookery book by the Saraswat Mahila Samaj Mumbai, published by Popular Prakashan, Prakashan priced at 2.25. I also spoke briefly about Crumbs, Bread Stories and Recipes by Sai Korane Khandekar, also published by Hashet and priced at 4.50. Do check out my show notes if you want links on where you can get these books. 
and that brings us to the end of this episode i hope you liked it please do subscribe so that you get the latest episodes every 2 weeks as i release them this is ps nasim signing off uh is anyone else hungry